Chapter Thirteen of Child Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Religious Books Quote, Lisping new syllables, we scramble next through moral narrative or sacred text and learn with wonder how this world began who made who marred and who has ransomed man Unquote. tyrosinium william cowper seventeen eighty four it was inevitable since the colonization of america was in the day of puritanism that the first modern literature known by american children should be the distinctive literature of that sect and period these were religious emblems controversial trustees records of martyrdom catechismic dialogues and a few accounts of precociously pious infants who had died thomas white a puritan minister wrote thus quote, when thou canst read read no ballads and romances and foolish books but the bible and the plain man's pathway to heaven a very plain holy book for you get the practice of piety mr baxter's call to the unconverted allen's alarm to the unconverted the book of martyrs unquote. the two books which he named after the bible had the distinction of being the only ones owned by the wife of john bunyan the confiding puritan child who read the plain man's pathway to heaven under the promise that it was a plain and perfect book must have been sorely disappointed but if it wasn't plain it was popular the twelfth edition is dated seventeen thirty three fox's book of martyrs was found in many colonial homes and was eagerly read by many children neither this nor any of the books on the rev mr white's list were properly children's books a special book for children was written by a puritan preacher whose sayings were very dull in prose and i am sure must have been more so in verse it was called old mr dodd's sayings composed in verse for the better help of memory and the delightfulness of children reading them and learning them whereby they may be the better engrafted in their memories and understanding cotton mather also wrote 
good lessons for children in verse doubtless the most popular and most widely read of all children's books in new england was one whose title page runs thus quote, a token for children being an exact account of the conversion holy and exemplary lives and joyful deaths of several young children by james janeway to which is added a token for the children of new england or some examples of children in whom the fear of god was remarkably budding before they died in several parts of new england preserved and published for the encouragement of piety in other children Unquote. the first portion of this book was written by an english minister and was as popular in england as in america the entire book with the title as given went through many editions in both england and america even being reprinted in this century in spite of its absolute truthfulness and simplicity of belief it is a sad commentary on the spiritual conditions of the times i will not give any of the accounts in full for the expression of religious thought shown therein is so contrary to the sentiment of to-day that it would not be pleasing to modern readers the new england portion was written by cotton mather and out Janeway's Janeway. Young babes chide their parents for too infrequent praying, and have ecstasies of delight when they can pray ad infinitum. One child, two years old, was able, quote, savingly to understand the mysteries of redemption, unquote another of the same age was quote, a dear lover of faithful ministers unquote. one poor little creature had quote, such extraordinary melting that his eyes were red and sore from weeping on his sins unquote. annie greenwich who died when five years old Quote, discourse most astonishingly of great mysteries unquote. daniel bradley who had an quote, impression and inquisitiveness of the state of souls after death unquote, when three years old elizabeth butcher who Quote, when two and a half years old, as she lay in the cradle, would ask herself the question, What is my corrupt nature? and would answer herself, It is empty of grace, bent unto sin, and only to sin, and that continually. Unquote, were among the distressing examples. 
Jonathan Edwards' Narratives of Conversions contain similar records of religious precocity. There is a curious double light in all these narratives. The premature sadness of the children, who seem as old as original sin, is equaled by the absolute childishness of the reverend gentleman, Mr. Janeway, Mr. Mather, Mr. Edwards, who tell the tales. There were other similar collections of examples. One of the children in Siberia, others in Silesia, and another of pious motions and devout exercises of Jewish children in Berlin. Siberia was apparently as remote and inaccessible to Boston in those days as the moon, and the incredulous mind cannot help wondering who sent and how were sent these accounts to those trusting Boston ministers. Another child's book by James Janeway was The Looking-Glass for Children. There had been a previous book with nearly the same title. Janeway's book was certainly popular, perhaps because it was in verse, and children's poetry was very scant and rare in those days. It was reprinted many times, and parts appeared in selections and compilations until this century. A few lines run thus, quote, When by spectators I behold what beauty doth adorn me, or in a glass when I behold how sweetly God did for me, hath God such comeliness bestowed on me made to dwell? What pity such a pretty maid as I should go to hell? Unquote. A book of similar title was Divine Blossoms, A Prospect or Looking Glass for Youth. The lack of poetry may also account in some degree for the astonishing popularity of a poem which appeared in 1662 written by a Puritan preacher named Michael Wigglesworth and entitled The Day of Doom or a poetical description of the great and last judgment. This, quote, epic of hellfire and damnation, unquote, was reprinted again and again, and was sold in such large numbers that it is safe to assert that every New England household whose members could read was familiar with it. It was printed as a broadside, and children committed it to memory. Teachers extolled it, ministers quoted it. Its horrible descriptions of hell and the sufferings of the damned are weakened to the modern mind by the thought of the presumptuous complacency of the author who would dare to give page after page of what he conceived the great judge would say on the day of judgment. But of course no child, certainly no child of Puritan training, 
would note either absurdity or impropriety in assigning such words and it is sad to think what must have been the climax of horror with which a sensitive child read god's word to the plea for salvation made by reprobate infants the terrible words running on through many stanzas and ending thus quote, will you demand grace at my hand and challenge what is mine will you teach me whom to set free and thus my grace confine you sinners are and such a share as sinners may expect such you shall have for i do save none but my own elect yet to compare your sin with theirs who lived a longer time i do confess yours is much less though every sin's a crime a crime it is therefore in bliss you may not hope to dwell but unto you i shall allow the easiest room in hell Unquote. thomas white wrote a book for children which certainly comes under the head of religious books though its pages held also those frivolous lines a was an archer who shot a frog etc this dreary volume was entitled a little book for little children it contained accounts of short-lived and morbid young christians much like those of james janeway's book one child of eight wept bitter and inconsolable tears for his sins one wicked deed was lying his mother asked him whether he were cold he answered yes instead of forsooth and afterward doubted whether he really was cold or not another sin was wetting his knife on the sabbath day poor nathaniel mather whittled on the lord's day and hid behind the door while thus sinning a boy's jackknife was a powerful force then as now this book also had accounts of the christian martyrs and their tortures this was an english book first reprinted in boston in seventeen o two an edition of Pilgrim's Progress was printed in Boston in 1681, another in 1706, and an illustrated edition in 1744, but I doubt that these were the complete book. Many shortened copies and imitations appeared. One was called The Christian's Metamorphosis Unfolded, another The Christian Pilgrim dr neal edited it for children making says a modern critic a most impudent book bunyan also wrote divine emblems which the young were enjoined to read and he also bowed his pen to children and wrote country rhymes for children for many years no copy of this was known to exist but what was found in america in recent years and is now in the british museum it is an uncouth mixture of religious phrases and similes and very crude natural history 
Pilgrim's Progress was the first light reading of Benjamin Franklin. Other books of his boyhood were Plutarch's Lives, Defoe's Essays Upon Projects, Cotton Mather's Essays to Do Good, and Burton's Historical Collections. Another patriot at a later day, Abraham Lincoln, learning little but the primer at school, read slowly and absorbed into his brain, his heart, and his everyday speech, the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, Aesop's Fables, and Plutarch's Lives, a good education to which a life of Washington added details of local patriotism. Another book for young people, which might be termed a storybook, though its lesson was deemed deeply religious, was called A Small Book in Easy Verse, very suitable for children, entitled The Prodigal Daughter or The Disobedient Lady Reclaimed. It was a poem of about a hundred stanzas relating the story of a very willful young woman who, on being locked up in her room by her father to check her extravagance, made a league with the devil, attempted to poison her father and mother, dropped dead apparently on her wickedness being discovered, was carried to the grave, but revived just as the sexton was about to lower her coffin in the ground. She recovered, repented, related her experiences with unction, and lived ever after happy. The title page bears a picture of the devil as a fine gentleman wearing his tail as a sword and having one high-topped cloven-footed boot. This book enjoyed unbounded popularity even during the early years of this century. It was similar in teaching to a chapbook which was entitled The Afflicted Parents or The Undutiful Child Punished. In this tale, the daughter gave some very priggish advice to her wicked brother, who promptly knocks her down and kills her. He is captured, tried, condemned, sentenced, and at last executed by two pardoned highwaymen. But upon being cut down, he comes to life, pompously discourses at much length, and then is executed a second time as a warning to all disobedient children. Deathbed scenes continue to be full of living interest. The good child's little hymn book represents the taste of the times. One poem is on the death and burial of twins, and thus is doubly interesting. Another is on, quote, unquote, dying. The child asks whether he is going to die and, quote, look white and awful and be put in the pit-hole with other dead people and yet the preface runs quote, mama see what a pretty book at days papa has bought that i may at the pictures look and by the words be taught unquote. After a time, some attempts were made to render the Bible in a form specially for children's reading. There was a rhymed adaptation called the Bible in Verse. 
this was not the bible versification of samuel wesley printed in seventeen seventeen of which he says condescendingly some passages here represented are so barren of circumstances that it was not easy to make them shine in verse older hands had essayed to rhyme the bible one was called a brief psalm of the bible these Bible abridgments were literally little books, usually three or four inches long, covered with brown or mottled paper. One tiny, well-worn book of Bible stories was but two inches long and an inch wide. It had 250 pages, each of about 20 words. There was also the famous Thumb Bible, printed by the Boston book printers Mien and Fleming. A copy of this may be seen at the Lenox Library in New York City. The hieroglyphic Bible with emblematic figures was illustrated with 500 tiny pictures set with the print, which helped to tell the story after the manner of an illustrated rebus. Bewick made the cuts for the English edition. Tiny catechisms were widely printed and sought after and used as gifts to good and godly children there were also dull little books of parables modeled on the parables of the bible those were profoundly religious but were so darkly and figuratively expressed as to be frequently entirely incomprehensible and they fully realized the definition of a parable given by a child i know quote, a heavenly story with no earthly meaning unquote. an extremely curious and antiquated religious pananda was entitled the history of the holy jesus the seventh edition was printed in new london in seventeen fifty four the illustrations in this stupid little book were more surprising than the miserable text no attempt was made to represent oriental scenery the picture of an earthquake showed a group of toy houses and a substantial church of the type of the old south in perfect condition tipped over and leaning solidly on each other the prodigal son returned to an english manor-house with latticed windows and the woman wore high commodes and hooped skirts in the cut intended to represent to the inquiring young christian in new england the adoration of the magi the wise men of the east appear in the guise of prosperous british merchants in cocked hats knee breeches and full-skirted coats with great flap pockets they look wisely at the star-spotted heavens and a mammoth and extremely conventionalized comet through british telescopes mounted on tripods the slaughter of the innocents must have seemed painfully close at hand when yankee children looked at the trim military platoons of english-clad infants each waving an english flag while herod in a modern uniform on a horse with modern trappings charged upon them perhaps some of the fathers and mothers born in england and in the church of england had a still more vivid realization of herod's crime 
for it was the custom in some english parishes at one time to whip all the children on holy innocence day as gregory said quote, it hath been a custom to whip up the children upon innocence day morning that the memory of this murder might stick the closer and in a moderate proportion to act over the cruelty again in kind Unquote. the book was in rhyme here are a few of the verses Quote, the wise men from the east do come led by a shining star and offer to the new-born king frankincense gold and myrrh which herod hears and wrathful grows and now by heaven's decree joseph and mary and her son do into egypt flee the bloody wretched enraged to think christ's death he could not gain commands that infants all about bethlehem should be slain but oh to hear the awful cries of mothers in distress and rachel mourns for her first-born snatched from her tender breast the history of the holy jesus was told by reverend mr instruckwell to master learnwell the book contained also the child's body of divinity and some of dr watts hymns these divine songs for children appear in many forms the cradle hymn is the one most frequently seen and i recently have heard it extolled as a perfect lullaby for a child a curious study it is showing how absolutely traditional religious conception could usurp the mind and obscure the impulses of the heart its sweet and tender lines which begin hush my dear lie still and slumber holy angels guard thy bed are soon contrasted with vehement words which tell of the lot of the infant jesus and at the mother's passionate expressions of brutal creatures cursed sinners that affront their lord the child apparently cries for the mother sings soft my child i did not chide thee though my song may sound too hard in the next stanza however theological venom again finds vent to the poor wondering baby yet to read the shameful story how the jews abused their king how they served the lord of glory makes me angry while i sing this certainly seems an ill phrase an exciting lullaby but is perhaps what might be expected as the notion of a soothing cradle hymn from a bigoted old bachelor end of chapter thirteen